This episode is brought to you by Crystal Ray Jesuit High School in Chicago. For 23 years, Crystal Ray has educated Latino students with limited means, preparing the leaders of tomorrow today. Learn about their mission at crystalray.net. That's C-R-I-S-T-O-R-E-Y.net. Hello and welcome to Jesuitical, a podcast by the spookily young, ghoulishly hip, and wickedly lay editors of America Media. That lay part means we aren't Jesuits, but we work with them. Join us each week for a smart Catholic take on faith, culture, and the news, often over drinks. I'm Ashley McKinless, and I'm joined by Olga Segura. Hey, guys. And Zach Davis. Playing through the pain today. Yeah. Do either of you have Halloween Twitter names? No. I, I did it last year. I was Zach O'Lantern Davis. Oh, that's, that's good. good. That's yeah. Good. I don't really have a good one. Neither do I. Yeah. I was going to try to do like a spooky laugh after the end of the intro, but I chickened out. <laughs> oh, you could do it again. No. <laughs> Just do your regular I, laugh, and we'll ask Noah to make it spooky. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, man. What would Jesuitical's Halloween name, Halloween Ooh. name be? Um, Jez... Uh, All right, abandoned ship. Jesuitical. <laughs> oh, Jesuitical! Jesuitical. That's much better than what I said, yeah, what so good job. Say? I said Jebuitical. Oh, Jeb- I said Jesuitical. All right. Okay, cool. <laughs> What are we drinking this week, Zach? We are in business now. Mm-hmm. Something amazing just happened. Our our very talented uh, editorial assistant for digital strategy, Vivian Cabrera, walked in with a bottle of wine with the cork punched through. <laughs> <laughs> so we were we were down and out because we couldn't find a corkscrew to open Olga's birthday wine. Yeah, and was... we're feeling very sad. And our evidently our design team. I uh, figured out a way to mm-hmm. punch this cork through. I did not. Yeah. I tried and made myself bleed. But no, you just don't have the creativity. <laughs> I don't. So now we are drinking mm-hmm. Olga's favorite Luna Nuda, Pinot Grigio. So happy birthday, Olga. Happy Thank birthday, you. Olga. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you to Cheers. all who open wine to those in need. <laughs> all right. So who are we talking to this week, Olga? This week, we're talking with Sister Norma Pimentel. She is the executive director of Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley. She founded the McAllen Humanitarian Respite Center, which serves women and children who have traveled together as a family and have been paroled from detention centers while they await their asylum court hearing. Yeah, and Sister Norma has been on the front line of the border uh, through back in 2014 when there was a surge of unaccompanied minors. And today, when um, if you're paying attention to the headlines, you know that there's a, a caravan of migrants making their way up through Mexico to the border. Order. So she, her group is preparing for that. Um, what they do is they accompany those migrants who make it across the border, go through border control, and then um, need to find their way through the U.S. immigration system. Yeah. And she, earlier this year, she received uh, Notre Dame's Litari Award, which is one of the oldest and most prestigious Catholic awards in the country. And last month at the 31st Annual Hispanic Heritage Awards, she received the Hispanic Heritage Award for service. She was in the middle of a really busy day and we called her as she was going between meetings. So she's in her car talking to us in case the quality is a little different this week. But first, Signs of the Times, the part of our show where we sift through the Catholic news of the week so you don't have to. Um, we're starting this week with the really terrible news out of Pittsburgh, where on October 27th, a shooter entered the Tree of Life synagogue and shot and killed 11 and injured six. Um, the shooter told officers while uh, after he was apprehended that all Jews must die and has a history of posting anti-Semitic messages online. 
And this attack at Tree of Life is one of the deadliest attacks against the Jewish community in American history. And since the attack, more than 3,000 people from the Pittsburgh community have turned out for an interfaith candlelight vigil, which has included Hebrew and English songs and hymns. So after Saturday's tragedy, there have been an outpouring of uh, expressions of solidarity across religious traditions. Um, there have been, as Olga mentioned, vigils. There, there have been blood drives and people asking, you know, what can we do to support uh, the Jewish community in a time when anti-Semitic attacks are on the rise? And Pope Francis also jumped in and said, all of us in reality are wounded by this inhuman act of violence. And Pope Francis mentioned that we need to pray to help sort of extinguish, he used the word extinguish, the hotbeds of hate that are fomenting in our society right now. Yeah. And and the church, I think, has a special responsibility in this. Um, there is a very ugly history of anti-Semitism within the church. Um and the church has taught since Nostra Aetate, one of the documents of the Second Vatican Council, that there is a, quote, spiritual patrimony common to Christians and Jews. And the church has denounced any discrimination against men or harassment of them because of their race, color, condition in life or religion. And I think we should say that we, as listeners of the show will know, have like a special relationship to unorthodox. Uh, it's We've, we've, we've sort of, we call it the Jewish Jesuitical. Actually, we call ourselves the Catholic Unorthodox. But the organization that they're with, Tablet Magazine, has sent half their staff to Pittsburgh this week uh, to report on what's going on. So Yeah, and Unorthodox had a special episode that they released yesterday. Um, uh, Liel and Stephanie went down to uh, uh, Squirrel Hill on Sunday and spoke to folks about what they're experiencing now. So I would, I listened to it. It's a really great episode. So I would definitely... Uh, recommend to our listeners to go check out an Orthodox podcast. All right, what's our next story, Olga? In another tragedy last week, a man attempted to enter First Baptist Church of Jefferstown in Kentucky. Um, he was unable to get in because the doors were locked. So after 10 minutes of trying, he went uh, to a Kroger supermarket no nearby and killed a black man and woman. The victims' names were Vicki Lee Jones and Morris E. Stallard. And uh, so when the shooter was outside the grocery store, a another man who was also armed confronted him. Um, and then the shooter stated, whites don't kill whites. So it was clearly um, there. There, This man had a history of mental illness, but it seems pretty obvious that there is some anti-black racism at work in this in this shooting. Right. And it, it, you can just imagine how I mean, it would have been probably more lives lost had he got into this church. Um and so, Olga, you were you brought the story because you were interested in the the conversation happening around the story. Correct. Um, so there's been a lot of focus on the shooter's history of mental illness, um, which is valid. He had a history of mental illness. He had a history of domestic violence against his ex-wife. Um, and there are very you know, we have to address these things because there are very concrete steps that have to be taken to prevent these types of shootings, such as restricting gun access and providing better mental health resources. But what I found problematic is that a lot of media outlets are not focusing on, as Ashley said, the anti-black racism that was very apparent on this guy's Facebook page. And, you know, how are we going to prevent future attacks if we're not explicitly calling this what it is, you know? Yeah, definitely. And we talk, it's just like we talked about in our, our last story, right? Like Pope Francis mentioned, we have to like root out these hotbeds of hate and that's what, what they are. And where, where are these hotbeds? Where, where, where are these sentiments being fomented right now? And it's, I think it's on us to figure that out and like shine a light on it. 
Our next story comes from Rome, where Pope Francis has closed the Synod on the Youth. Um, So that basically means the Synod is done. Uh, There's no more sessions. There was a closing mass and a final document was drafted, approved by vote, and then promulgated. Uh, There was also a closing dance party. Yes, there was a closing dance party. (laughs) Which probably got more attention than the final document of the Synod (laughs) in some corners of Twitter. Yeah, that's true. They only release it in Italian. So a lot of... A lot of the bishops present were like, how am I supposed to vote on this if I can't speak it? But thankful to my co-host, I did go through it since I do speak Italian. You, you, so Olga, Olga read it for us. I did. I did. And some of the topics that are co- that were covered in the final document include sex abuse, migration, war, corruption. Yeah. And some of the major takeaways from the final doc that I think at least the U.S. media covered um, was one was definitely the role of women in the church was a major theme, both throughout the synod and in this final document. Yeah, And the fact that pe- women did not have a voting role on this document was kind of part of the story of the Synod, which that was not addressed in the Synod. There was no recommendation that women be able to vote in the next one. But they did call for, um, they said it was a duty of justice that requires courageous cultural conversion to have women in leadership positions in the church. And the second major theme that we noticed was the language on LGBT persons. This was the most contested paragraph of the entire document. So each paragraph of the Synod document is voted on uh, each paragraph by each paragraph. And it needs to get two thirds of the uh, of the Synod Fathers voting yes for it to be approved. Right. And so the Instrumentum Laboris, sort of the working document that was drafted before the Synod, had used the term LGBT. Correct. But the final document did not. The only thing that they mentioned was homosexuality, and it was mentioned once throughout the whole document. They mm-hmm. did talk about the need to accompany um, uh, LGBT people without using that term, obviously. Um, so there was, you know, like a bit of outreach, but I think there is uh, people in the LGBT community were, I think it's fair to say, disappointed to not have their own terminology um, reflected in the way that the church talks about them. Yeah, I think there was definitely uh, sort of this like mixed bag reaction of like excited that at least that I was reading online that they're excited to like see the church engaging in this conversation in a way that wants to genuinely accompany them but as you said disappointed at their uh uncomfortableness around the term lgbt yeah um and one of the third big topics was synodality which is kind of a a word that (laughs) makes people fall asleep um but what it means is kind of decentralizing um church decision-making and activity to, you know, uh, lower lower levels so that everything's not just coming straight out of the Vatican by fiat. Yeah, and there's a chance that Pope Francis will take this document and what happened at the Synod and write an apostolic exhortation later on in sort of making that sort of the magisterial teaching that has come out of uh, the Synod, or he can sort of retroactively make the document part of the magisterium. So we don't know which way it's going to go yet, but there will be more news coming out of that. What's our next story, Ashley? One of the other topics that uh, made an appearance in this final synod document was uh, youth culture or youths, how they engage with digital culture. Um, And they talked about the need for the church to better engage uh, with young people online. Um, And one effort to do that is a new app that blends Pokemon Go with catechesis. It's called Follow JC Go. So um, like with Pokemon Go, where you like walk around the city and I don't actually, I never played it. (laughs) Zach is is more of a Pokemon (laughs) Go expert. But in this one, you go around collecting uh, saints and Marian devotions and there's like some church trivia involved um, and it prompts you to like go to churches and do acts of mercy. 
So what do you guys think? You going to download the app? Def- well, right now it's only available in Spanish. Uh, so I did download it and did not get very far, despite my 10 days. It is in- going to be available in English, Italian, and Portuguese in the coming weeks, though. Yes. So I did sort of like get around, and it's like pretty sleek in its uh, interface. The idea as a whole... <sighs> you don't you don't think this is what's going to stop the bleeding of young people from no, the church? No, okay, I think it's okay to applaud the church's willingness to get in the app store and try and engage in this way. And I also think it's okay to say they didn't do a great job this time. Yeah. I think it, it's kind of lame. Okay. That's my thought. Our, uh, maybe we're not the target audience, though. You know, uh, yeah. they, they talked about how this is, they, it was made ahead of World Youth Day, so that mm-hmm. maybe, so I'm maybe imagining, like, people down in Panama for World Youth Day, like, on their phones, running around, mm-hmm. collecting saints. So that that could be fun. Yeah. And I think, I, I'm going to disagree with Zach. I think, I first of all, I have not played it, but I think it is a really good cool and fun way to engage like as she said we're not the targeted audience for this but i think it is a really great way to engage younger catholics um and get them to learn about stuff that they might not be looking for otherwise if you give it to them like they're going to be on their phones if you give it to them in a way where if they're playing Fortnite, then they'll they might play this jc go game too you know and and they'll learn about church stuff along the way Joining us today via Skype is Sister Norma Pimentel. She is the Executive Director of Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande Valley. Welcome to Jesuitical, Sister Norma. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Yeah, we're very, very excited to be talking to you. So can you tell us, Sister Norma, where you are right now? I'm actually in McAllen, Texas. We are right at the border with Mexico. And so what we do is actually help the many thousands of families have, that have arrived through the border and enter the United States and are allowed to travel continue their process, the immigration process somewhere else. So the community here locally uh, has come together to provide human nature and care for the families. So right now, the the big immigration that's been dominating the headlines is is this caravan of Central American migrants who are making their way um, up through Mexico. And there are a lot of like competing narratives around that. Um, so I'm wondering from from your view on the ground, um, what what is this caravan and what are you expecting in the coming weeks? The caravan is, is a group of families who are coming together to try to keep themselves safe because uh, crossing through Mexico and other countries is not very safe. They run the risk of being uh, um, the cartels or gangs uh, pretty much taking advantage of them and hurting them. So the caravan is a, a way to come together and protect themselves. But we hear a lot of things and we see a lot of constru- uh, things that are happening in the uh, in the news that, uh, and people are afraid of the caravan. But I think that for the most part, what we have with the caravan, the why the caravan exists and why families come to the United States is because of their, their fear for their families and, and hoping that they can find protection in the United States. And so uh, we see th- other things in the in the caravan where they burn the flag. I don't I don't believe that that is something that the families themselves would be doing, but other people that may be using the caravan as a way to make a statement. So the the president has dis- has has said that there might be terrorists in the caravan with absolutely no facts to back that up. Um, can you describe who is in the caravan and why they are leaving Central America? I, you know, what I know of, of the people that come from Central America, specifically from Honduras, are families and children who are desperate, who are needing to, 
to find relief and protection because they're afraid for the children. And it only takes a parent that is desperate to leave their country with hopes that they can find a safer place. What what specifically is are some of the things that you and your organization do to sort of accompany migrants once they, they arrive and are sort of paroled by Border Patrol? Yes, you know, we work very closely with Border Patrol, with ICE. They, they, they see us as part of the response that they do when they apprehend somebody, they process them. And the family units, the parents and children that meet a certain family profile who are allowed to continue that process in the United States of, of their legal process, we are able to then take those families, give them an opportunity to, to contact their family, have them buy them a bus ticket. We give them a chance to take a shower, to get cleaned up, to eat, and to to feel human beings again, you know, because they've been through so much. And so we're that's what we're doing here in the Rio Grande Valley. And and what families meet that criteria? And is it only families? Well, yeah. Well, the ones that we actually help are the families that are released and that actually are processed there. They actually are not a threat in any way to the United States because they've already been processed better and they are allowed to continue that process in the United States somewhere else. They uh, they are, are family units that that have started. They need to go before an immigration judge and they need to continue that legal process so they can determine whether they can be in the United States or not. And Sister Norma, you you grew up often crossing the border between Brownsville and Matamatos in Mexico. Um, how has that shaped your work and sort of how has the border how has border crossings changed since then? You know, uh, crossing to Mexico has been something that is more difficult as time progresses because of the the fact that just to cross back to the United States it takes a long time. It's not like you can go across and come back just minutes we, we might you have to uh prepare yourself to be uh away for a couple of hours because uh just crossing back might take a whole hour you know and so people don't cross back and forth as they used to and also we're more cautious because we don't want to run the risk of maybe running into anybody that may be part of the cartel or a gang and so uh just to be safe you only go across if you need to go it's crossed my mind that a lot of the work you do, you encounter a lot of pain, you hold a lot of people's pain and struggles um, when you accompany them like that. How does that impact your 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 prayer life? Uh, how, what are your conversations with God life? That's I know that's a very intimate question, but... Well, that's a very good question. I think that it defines who, we, who I am and who uh, God is in my life. You know, I think that God makes me be very grounded in a daily basis when I encounter families and human suffering, he, he, uh, he re- definitely um, defines very clearly what he wants me to do in a daily basis, you know, and I smile at him very often. <laughs> so you still smile at him even though you're faced with all this suffering? Yes. Yes. I, I'm, I'm very happy that I'm privileged to be uh, one of his uh, uh, main persons to make sure we reach out and tell others that we must help that other human beings, that it, it is our responsibility. And I think that's what God would like for us all to do. I think it was in 2015 that uh, Pope Francis actually singled out your work at the border um, and lifted that up as an example for U.S. Catholics. What what was that like? And what has Pope Francis done for your for your cause? Yeah, it was over a video chat, right? Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. yeah it was amazing. I, I, I don't know that it, 
I I think that was the most wonderful thing that could ever happen in my life uh, <laughs> to actually meet the Holy Father personally. You know, I, I, at the moment he addressed himself to me, I said, "Oh my God, <laughs> about me!" You know, um, I I was uh, I was I couldn't believe uh, that what was happening, and and uh, really he totally uh, just him giving attention to the work I was doing was giving attention to the work all of us, everybody who has been responding in some way to the immigrants and to the, receiving them and welcoming them. He was saying thank you to everybody. But it personally to me, you know, he by bringing attention to the work we do, he has really uh, opened it up for the world to see what we're doing and, and, and that it's very good and we must continue to do. Sister Norma, you, you talked about the need for people to go down to the border and encounter the people that you work with, these families, these mothers, daughters, sons. What are some of the ways that you're using social media to bring these stories to the public? Can you share one of the stories with our listeners, like one family that you've worked with that would resonate with our listeners? Yes, well, uh, let me tell you about a particular uh, story. Of, uh, this, one of the separated families that we welcomed and we received after the, they were separate for uh, way over a month. And the child, as, as we were receiving them, and I was helping her walk with the mom to her room to go to sleep, she turns around and looks at me and, and tells me, today... I'm not going to cry. And I said, what do you mean? What do you mean? And then she says, I have been crying every single day since the day I was separated from my mom over a month. And tonight I'm sleeping with mom. So when she told me this, you know, it it really trespasses me deeply to to hear a child tell me, say, I've been crying every single day. You know, Uh, I don't know how we can be part of of hurting the child that way, you know? I don't know either. How would you grade the the Catholic Church's response uh, to aiding uh, immigrants in the United States? How are we doing, I, do you think? I, I think that the Catholic Church overall has done a great effort to try to reach out and to be a voice, to try to help all of us respond, that it, it is our responsibility to journey with uh, our brothers and sisters who are coming and who are asking for help. You know, in many ways, many Catholic charities throughout the United States, many other agents throughout the border have responded and continue to respond on a daily basis. And and it's amazing how here, particularly in the Revenue Valley, we are one of the poorest areas in the United States, and yet it hasn't stopped since day one, how people just generously offer their time their resources, whatever they have to share with those that are less fortunate and have less. You know, uh, I think that the church is very alive and that it's trying uh, to be present in every way possible to our suffering uh, brothers and sisters that are are coming this way. What, what can people who aren't at the border do to help? Well, I think that there's many ways to help. Uh, you can definitely come to the border and volunteer. You can send us donations. Uh, you can go to our website, humanitarianrespitecenter.org, and find out how you can help. But you can also help in your own town, in your areas where you are, because these families are going somewhere in the United States. They need support. They need to be connected with somebody. They need uh, legal representation. They need to be welcomed. And so I think you need to reach out to places around there in your community where you know they're immigrants and they need your help. Norma, you mentioned earlier that you work really closely with uh Customs and Border Patrol and ICE. Uh, is that? Do you find that 
difficult at all? I mean, you mentioned uh, the little girl who was crying every day. Do you feel, do you hold those people who work in those agencies responsible for that? Or do you feel any animosity towards them? Not at all. I think the Border Patrol eyes are very good people. They're doing their job. You know, I don't know that they're necessarily doing something bad. They're doing their job. I think that our policies are what causing the pain and the suffering in the families. The, the, our administration that is enforcing uh, policies that are not human for the families. You know, because I, I know a lot of good officers, chief of uh, Border Patrol, they are all very working very closely with us to make sure that the families are not alone, that the families are able to get uh, help from the point they are under their custody to the point they move forward. So uh, I think that uh, we we have to uh, recognize the fact that our law enforcement is trying to do their job the best they can. They have a big responsibility to keep our borders safe and, and that we must work with them. You know, I have never had any problems with them. They, work very closely with me in making sure that families get the proper care they need. So I think that this way of working together needs to be happening all over the United States. So you're saying the, the problem is specifically with our politicians and not necessarily who are carrying out the orders. Correct. That's that's totally right. How much of your work is advocacy? Do you do you try to talk with uh, political leaders um, or are you only focused on the addressing immediate needs of the migrants at the border? My, my immediate response is the people, the families responding to them. I will not talk to the to the politicians or to the Congress people or if they ask me to speak to them, not because I look for them. You know, I, I think that, that if they come down to the valley or if they invite me to speak, I'm open to talk what I know and what I think we're called to do, you know, and uh, how we can respond to this reality. So, Sister Norma, thank you so much for all of the work that you do and for taking time to talk with us about this work. Um, One final question we've got for you. If you could canonize anyone, living or dead, Catholic or not Catholic, who would it be and why? Oh, my goodness. I think that person would be Pope Francis. (laughs) Yeah. Tell us why. Because he has helped us be put our feet right on the ground very clearly and to be real to our Christian values our human values and, and respond to that, be authentic, you know, and I, I think there's nobody else that has done it better than he has. Amen. All right. right. St. Pope Francis. Sister Norma, thank you so much. And where can people find more about your work on social media? And we'll put your website in our show notes. Right. You can find me on on Facebook. Um, I'm there, Norma Sandy Pimentel. And also on our our website for the Humanitarian Respite Center at uh, humanitarianrespitecenter.org. Awesome. Right. Thank you Great. so much. Thank you and, so much. And Norma. drive safely. You're most welcome. <laughs> Adios. Adios. All right, now it's time for some housekeeping. Yeah, this episode is brought to you by Crystal Ray Jesuit High School in Chicago. For 23 years, Crystal Ray has educated Latino students with limited means, preparing the leaders of tomorrow today. Learn more about their mission at crystalray.net. That's C-R-I-S-T-O-R-E-Y dot net. Also shout out this week to new Patreons. We've got Annie Cohart at the Superfan level and Mark Mottelbein at the Ambassador level. If you want to donate to us, you can do that at patreon.com slash America Media. 
And if you have not subscribed to American Media's new podcast, Inside the Vatican, you should go into your favorite podcast app right now and do it. This week on Inside the Vatican, Colleen Dully uh, talks to our Rome correspondent, Gerard O'Connell, about the synod uh, and divisions within the Catholic Church. Uh, so you definitely want to listen to this if you want to get behind the scenes info about what was going on at the Synod, go to your favorite podcast app and download Inside the Vatican from America Media. All right. Should we do some consolations and desolations? I think we should. What do you have, Olga? So this week I've got what I think is a consolation after my conversation with Eric, but I don't know. Um, but I know that it is a sign that this that we do every week where we talk about consolations and desolations actually works. Um, I was in Barcelona, as listeners know, um, and, you know, the whole thing like resetting, getting away from your daily routine was great. Um, but I didn't expect to be confronted with like my significant other's personality and mine. Like there were moments where he was just like, you're a really impatient person and you're being really short with me and it's making me feel like really, really bad. And at first I was like, oh, no, no, I'm not. I'm this great, amazing person. And he's just overreacting. But then I realized I was like, no, no, no you have to step back and you have to like reflect and pray on this and sort of process this. Um, and it was really uncomfortable and it's still really uncomfortable to know that I have to work through that. Um, but the consolation just was just knowing that what episode is this like 82, 82 to know that like this really works. The reflection that we sit and the face sharing that we do every week, like is working in my daily life. So even if Seeing that side of me wasn't comfortable, just knowing that I'm able to kind of just be like, okay, here's how you can become a better person. Um, that was the consolation this right. week. And this is your first time traveling with Enoch, right? Yes, it so was. That's, it's a, that's an important, hard thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So glad that we've got uh, the faith sharing part of our show that helped me work through that. Um, yeah. So yeah. Very good. What do you have, Zach? So uh, as... I don't think I mentioned this, actually. Uh, my fiance, Amanda, and I just finished our uh, our marriage prep portion of getting married. So there are a lot of things you can do in the church. And we decided to do a weekend retreat uh, through Catholic Engaged Encounter is the sort of lay movement that puts these on. Um, so it was a weekend away. Um, it was still in the city, but sort of at a retreat house. And it was amazing. Uh, I was pretty nervous. I was sort of hoping that we were going to have a good experience with the church um, in preparing us for marriage. And they sit, they sit you down and they give you the space and the time to really like talk about a lot of like playful, fun things and very serious things, a lot of spiritual things, a lot of like very mundane things. So like you're talking about what the sacrament of marriage means, but you're also talking about how to like do finances in a marriage. And it was like, honestly, stuff that more couples should be able to do and get to do. Um, but the consolation was uh, having the time to reflect and talk about things that we've talked about before, but in the in this new space away from everything to really like encounter one another and to be affirmed in the discernment that we've already done and that we're going to do in the year ahead preparing for our marriage. And so I was really consoled by our marriage prep. So, so good to hear. You've had some like frustrating moments in preparing for your wedding yeah and i think a lot because of, of the catholic church exactly so. and i think a lot of people have a mixed bag of marriage prep experiences mm -hmm. uh in the church and so i was really really excited to do this with catholic engaged encounter and perhaps not a coincidence that it's led by lay catholic people <laughs> <laughs> there, but there uh, but there was uh so there were two lay couples that were retired and gave amazing talks and advice about marriage but there was also a priest who came and like led this beautiful liturgy uh, for us. And so it was a very much collaborative effort between the laity and right. the priests. Cool. So, Ashley, what do you got? 
I guess it is also a consolation, though it feels weird to call it that. Um, so in the wake of of the shooting in Squirrel Hill in Pittsburgh, like I was like feeling very angry and despairing um, and kind of like felt like because this was happening to the Jewish community and it's just like such a uniquely anti-Semitism is such like a uniquely evil, horrible thing. Like I was like, it's not my place to find hope in this or to look for forgiveness or anything like that. And I, I was, there was a moment when I was reading a story and they talked about like how the government was going to seek the death penalty for the shooter. And I was just kind of like, yeah, he, that sounds about right. Um, so I was in this dark place. And then um, last night I spoke to my friend Tatiana, who's Jewish, and I was asking her how she's how she's doing. And she mentioned how she's recently got involved in this Jewish um, social justice group. She compared it like a Jewish Catholic worker kind of thing and how she was finding solace in that. Um, and then I did listen to the Unorthodox uh, podcast episode and they spoke to this one person in particular who was like, I was worried when this happened that, you know, like, Pittsburgh has become is going to become associated with like being the site of the worst anti-Semitic attack in U.S. history. But he thinks and he hopes that it that like the secret has gotten out of Pittsburgh, that there's this community of of Jewish people and the larger community around them that has really learned how to live as neighbors um, in the place where uh, uh, Mr. Rogers came from and who speaks so beautifully about what it means to be a neighbor. Um so even like when I couldn't find like any hope in myself hearing from the people who actually felt this tragedy most deeply and where they're finding hope, um, I, I found consolation in that and like realization that like death is not going to have the last word in this tragedy. Um, so I'm, I'm grateful for all the people who are willing to share their own experiences through this. Yeah, it sounds like your your like encounters both in, like with your friend and your podcast like really... Yeah. Made the difference there. Yeah. Jesuitical is brought to you by American Media and produced by Eloise Blondio. Our editor is Noah Levinson. Adverbs provided by Mary Sullivan. Jesuit formation provided by Eric Sundrup SJ. Engineering by Colleen Dully. You can follow us on Twitter at Jesuitical Show. Please subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your favorite podcasts and leave us a review. You can send us your questions, feedback, cocktail recipes, and tell us where you found God this week at Jesuitical at AmericanMedia.org. For American Media, I'm Ashley McKinless with Olga Segura and Zach Davis. We will see you next week.